That's right. There she is, Sleeping Beauty. Hello. I can't hear you. Hold on. Okay. My logic window. Let me shrink this thing. Hello. Hello. Hi, Pat. How you doing? Well, how are you? Good. You'd be thrilled to know that I fixed my iPhone. Oh, how did you do that? I had to do a hard reset. I had to dump, dump it all, clean it out. Oh, geez. And then uh, reload everything from the cloud. Oh, okay. And then it worked. At least you had it backed up. Yeah. Back everything. Good. Now they can hear you. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, how's my lighting? Is it too bright? Uh, let me go back to that monitor. It's a little bright. Should I, should I shut it, just shut it off? Let's see. How's that? Is that too dark? No, more natural, I think. Ground. A middle ground? No. <laughs> Do I need more light? Okay. Hey, turn that on and push it farther away. I could bring it way away. Um, there you go, right there, natural. Is that better? Yeah, way better. Okay. And that's that. All right. All right. So, how is everyone? Pat, Megan? Good. I'm good. Yeah, great. Thank you. Good. And the two shows we're doing, because I know we're confused, I have four in my head. So um, the two we're doing tonight is? Al Martino and the, uh, and the mailbag, no? Oh, good. Yeah, okay, perfect. Yep. Yes. And then we'll do Liza on Monday. Yep. Yep. And uh, Tommy Bellotti and that whole thing. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Everybody watch uh, Halston? We haven't gotten to it yet. I'm gonna. I, that's why I was hoping it didn't happen because I've been, I've been all over the place. I'm on Fox News tomorrow at uh, 11:30 National. I'm doing every. I mean, it's crazy. They're they're reopening the Marilyn uh, Monroe murder case. They they, they want to change her death to murder. Who's reopening it? You know, uh, uh, Los uh, Los Angeles. LAPD. Yep. Oh, really? That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we had we had a lot of petitions. Why should she go out saying she was depressed and she took an overdose? She was the happiest part of her life. She was just about to open on Broadway. She studied one year with with Stra with uh, Lee Strasberg. There was nothing wrong with her. Well, they're going to have to have more than that. Well, they got it. If they reopen the case, they probably have something we don't know about. Well, Noguchi. Noguchi said he was forced by the chief of police, who was friends with Robert Kennedy, to falsify the document. Hello. <laughs> Great. And revisiting the autopsy, she did not die of an overdose. 
So I'm just happy because, you know, she's such an icon. Why, why let her go that way? Jesus. So you're going to be on Fox tomorrow at, at 1130 to discuss that? No, no, I'm doing something else on that. I've been on every show there that I figure out what I'm doing. Tomorrow I'm doing something about um, uh, Fierce and whatever, the new movie, uh, you know, the ninth edition of that uh, Fierce and Furious. Okay. And that kid uh, insulted China. So they wanted to go to a veteran like me and understand how you know, Disney has such control over you. When you have a film that big, and then once he apologized, they did a hundred million dollars this weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, it, that's that's a very lucrative franchise. Yeah, hello. So, with that said, which are we doing, uh, Al Martino first? Yeah. Uh, uh, you you obviously have a lot of history there. I mean, I I could start as I usually do, giving some background. Oh, yeah, please. Buffalinos and all that. And yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll just ad lib and do it. But there's so much to be said about it. Yeah. And probably you could chime in. And uh, Megan, you did some research. You talked to the girl, didn't you? Talk to his daughter. Yeah, I spoke briefly with her about having her on, but I didn't speak in depth about anything. Okay. But you know what we're talking about, about this. About yeah. the mob supposedly got him as part. They didn't had nothing to do with it. Got it. Yeah, no, I have all that too. Okay, perfect. Let's count it down. All right. In three, two, one. Welcome everybody, and welcome back to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. The dynamic duo has joined me again. Pat Picciarelli, my co-writer. How's everybody doing? We're gonna find out. Okay. <laughs> And Megan, I'm millennium, millennial. <laughs> there you go. Hi, guys. How are we doing tonight? Hi, Megan. So we have a topic that is really uh, just brought up again. In fact, uh, um, Megan, um, Al Martino's daughter contacted you a while ago. And we were trying to have her on the show to see what she knows and what input she had. And then she had to postpone. But after doing the math... I realized she wasn't even born when her father did the movie. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. So just uh, for our listeners who don't know who Al Martino was, Gianni, why don't you uh, enlighten them? Oh, I'm sorry. I took it for granted. Most people who knew Italian great singers during that time, Al Martino was one of them from Philadelphia and had a tremendous background in that area and in nightclubs. Tremendous amount of hit records. And uh, when Sinatra was threatening a lot of his friends about doing the movie as the part of Johnny Fontaine, who he thought Mario Puzo wrote about him without his permission and tried to make it seem that Ava Gardner got him the part. I mean, the mob got him the part for the movie. He called Victor Moan, even called me, which we'll get into. And the guy, when he called Al Martino, Al Martino said, Frank, I don't work for you, and you don't scam me, and uh, I'm doing it. And he did it. So now there's conversation, again, being resurrected, because as we speak, there's two major projects 
a documentary of how The Godfather was made, Godfather 1. And then there's a real movie being made with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal playing Bobby Evans and another movie star playing Al Ruddy. And uh, we'll get into that because uh, they're completely denouncing any mob connections, which I'm wondering, how did I get the part of Carlo? Was I that good of an actor? They sought me out and found me when I never acted before. <laughs> what a find. What a find. Well, thank God they found me. But yeah. it wasn't that easy. Were, I found and, them. And, and you weren't even lost when they found you. Yeah, I know. It's perfect. So why don't you give a little background of the Buffalino family that Martino was around? Well, I don't know much about the uh, Buffalinos, but I can give you some background on uh, Al, so the people, so we know, so the people know who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Martino's name was actually Jasper Cini. Uh, CINI was born in 1927 in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, his family came from uh, Italy, and the kid. When he was young, he always wanted to sing, uh, and he was singing, well, primarily Italian songs, uh, given his heritage. But he aspired to be to become a pop singer. And he used to emulate uh, artists such as uh, Al Jolson, who was huge at the time, Perry Como. And they had a family friend uh, who knew the family uh, since they were back in Italy who uh, came here and started his own singing career. His name was uh, Alfredo Cocoso. And uh, he later changed his name to Mario Lanza. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> and, uh, the, the guy was a mega star. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's hard for people who are around currently to understand the magnitude of some of these singers' celebrity back then. Uh, Mario Lanza was a superstar. Uh, and he found some fame. In fact, in fact, he found a lot of fame uh, in South Pacific. He uh, was in the movie. I believe he won an Academy Award. He had a deep baritone voice. He sang opera. He sang everything. That's great. I didn't know any. Uh, he helped Jennifer Sini, uh, who later decided to change his name to Al Martino based on an in-law who had the name uh, Robert uh, Martini, he just worked the name a little and became Al Martino. Served during World War II, uh, took part in the Iwo Jima invasion. Uh, Al was in the Navy, but the uh, Navy had a big part in the Iwo Jima uh, landing, and this was also when the, the, the Japanese started to use kamikazes. This was toward the end of the war. And they started to use kamikazes to uh, take down the naval ships. And a lot of sailors were killed and hurt. He was part of that. Was they, he wounded also? Pardon me? Was he wounded in the war, during the war? No. didn't say he was wounded. I said he, he took part. Or, or did it? Uh, he, I think it said he was injured. He was injured. That didn't say how. Right. He was injured. He was injured aboard, aboard ship. They didn't really. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he had, he was very famous in, uh, in this country. Uh, and from what I've read, and you could probably uh, tell me the real story, if this isn't, the mafia uh, sought him out and said, we can make you a superstar. 
and you were throwing dollar figures at him, but he had to come up with $75,000 to show good faith on his end. <laughs> That's the first time I ever heard that one. I love yeah, it. Well, I, I, I got this from several sources. So he decided he, he, that he was going to give him the 75K. Why is this all in Philadelphia? Who was, who was asking? No, this was he was dealing with. Uh, good question. Doesn't give specific. Oh. No, it just says mafia in general. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what. It was uh, 1955. Uh, and he didn't have the money. They threatened him. He flees to Europe where he became a superstar there uh, in uh, Italy, Spain, all of Western Europe. The only problem was everyone lost track of him in the States. And that fame didn't travel with him when he finally came back. Apparently, uh, Buffalino smoothed out all the problems for him. He was his godfather, supposedly. I don't know if that's true or not. I heard that. I mean, I heard that several times, actually. That the families were connected, and uh, uh, Russell Buffalino smoothed out his return to the United States, and he came back, and everything was uh, was forgotten. And he started to record here in the fifties, and became very famous. Uh, you know, he got and also this was before rock and roll. This was before the Beatles, and when. When we got the English invasion, when the Beatles came over and all the other British groups and rock and roll was going strong here, like everybody else, including Sinatra and a whole bunch of other people, their fame started to wane a bit. So here's where we get into his acting, and I think you can take over from there, Jim. Well, that, that was early on, though, but didn't he act in a, another major, major motion picture or something? No. Of the Godfather? No. Nope. Oh, okay. Well, The Godfather... I don't think he did much... I don't think he did much um, noted acting besides The Godfather. Oh, I was yeah, say. and he and he uh, sung uh, "Speak Softly, Love for the Godfather." Right. Uh, that, but uh, from here on in, you, you you know a lot more than anybody else, Gianni, about how he got the part. Uh, who was promised the part first? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing that, as I know, I was there, fortunately, okay. and um, Sinatra was going after anybody that was asked to play that part. And even me, who wasn't asked to play that part, he just wanted all of his friends not to support the movie, hoping it would go away. <laughs> he wanted and, the movie shut down. Excuse me? He wanted the movie shut down? Oh, yeah. No, because he just felt, you know, that uh, portrayed him being controlled by the mob, especially that great scene that Al did do in the movie talking to the godfather on his daughter's wedding day explaining that if he got the part of this new movie he was up for it would make him a superstar and the dialogue went whereas you know but he said you'll never be in this movie uh, and called him a guinea and all this and and that's that's the part that in the movie only Don Corleone supposedly went to bat and made sure he got the part. That's a double entangi there because Ava Gardner got him the part. So there was no mob involved at all. And Vic Damone uh, had that part first. Oh, yeah, Vic had it first. And, and he yeah. basically said, you're not doing it. See, a lot of guys that were around... 
Sinatra, like a victim moan. You know, they had their own fame. They didn't need him blackballing them. And a lot of people don't know this. When Tommy Sands married his daughter, Nancy, and he found out that he was abusing her, I don't know, verbally or physically, he bought his contract and exiled him to Hawaii for the rest of his life <laughs> and killed his career. Well, the man had some power. We know that. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, the mob would do anything for him, not because of people thought he was connected. It was his earning power. I mean, I know that to be a, a main factor. Why? And yet at the end, it was his demise also, Sinatra's demise, because uh, during, as we, I mean, we're spinning way fast beyond The Godfather, when he said he had control of JFK, and him and Joey Bishop, who happened to be JFK's brother-in-law at the time, said they can control him. But they were going way into something else. But uh, uh, during that time of trying to get somebody to sing that part, Al Martino knew he had support and really didn't care because he was, like you said, a big star. So he wasn't going to blackball his Italian community from stopping going to his, uh, you know, his concerts. Why and did Ava Gardner get involved? Well, Ava Gardner got involved because they had such a wild uh, marriage and a romance, and he tried to kill himself over her when she left him. And if it wasn't for his agent from William Morris, James Woods, not the actor, but the agent, living here in, in New York City, his neighbor smelled gas from his apartment and called William Morris and let him know the gas smell. And the super went in, and when they broke into the door, they found Sinatra halfway in his oven trying to commit suicide. And the damage he did to his vocal cords and to repair them would take a year, year and a half, which by that time, like you mentioned, it was the rock and roll and the, so many, the Beatles and everybody taking over that whole industry that he knew he needed that movie. And there was no way to get that movie, but she knew how to get it because the producer, without saying his name because his kids are still in the business, he went directly, she went directly to his wife, who they were friends. And she said, your husband, you probably know, always wanted to have his way with me, because he had that reputation anyway in Hollywood. And she said, I need to get Sinatra that part. And I want to approach your husband with your permission to go away with me to Acapulco, we can have his way with me, but I have to do this for Frank. I destroyed him emotionally, career-wise, and this movie, the movie we're talking about, is Here to Eternity. And obviously he got supporting actor nomination in one, and he did become a star. So Mario Puzo had all his facts right, but the players were all mixed up. <laughs> so who got who got Al Martino the role in the Godfather? Who was the Al Martino 
was called by Al Ruddy and Bob Evans because they needed an Italian singer. And then when Sinatra found that out, Sinatra's office, Dorothy called Al, and Sinatra talked to him probably for the first time in his life. And he said, Frank, you know, I don't know how the whole conversation went, but he told me later, he said, with all due respect to you, Frank, I need the work, and I'm going to do the part. And he hung up on him, which most, I did the same thing. At first, I, I, he caught me off guard when he called me, and he said, I heard you, I, um, he said to me, a friend of mine, I said, yeah, a good friend of yours. He said, well, if I asked you to do me a favor, would you do it? I said, of course, Frank, what do you want me to do? So I heard they cast you for Carlo. I said, they did. He said, well, you know, they wanted, you know, Victor Moan, a couple other people. They were my friends. And because of our friendship, they bowed out. He said, I'd like you to do the same. And without even thinking, I said, whatever you want, Frank. And I hung up. And I'm saying to myself, am I crazy? <laughs> this is the, I, wor I worked in, behind the scenes for two or three months to get the part. So I called him back, and I used the same dialogue. I said, Dorothy, can I talk to the old man? Because that's how you addressed him then. And he got on the phone. I said, Frank, can I ask you a question? Is there anything you want? I said, you're my friend, right? I said, of course, he said. He said, if I asked you to do you, do you a favor, do me a favor, would you have done it? He said, yeah, I'll do you any kind of favor. I said, well, you got to be honest with me. He said, I would. What do you want? I said, if I asked you not to do Here to Eternity, would you have done it? And he hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't talk to me for a year. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the, the way Sinatra held a grudge, that was like, uh, that, that was a, a land speed record for regaining his friendship. Because this guy would, would put people out of his life literally for 20 and 30 years for the slightest slight. And well, no, the research you and I did, you mostly, you, you said even his godfather. Yeah, he didn't talk to his godfather for 50 years. Because <laughs> he took a job when he was 16 in a Hoboken newspaper uh, as some kind of a copy boy or something. Uh, I mean, he was, he was a teenager. And his godfather wouldn't give it to him. He didn't talk to him for 50 years. Wow. Over that. Well, he had to talk to me because, first of all, the guy who took me under his wing was Frank Costello. We know that. And Carlo Gambino, long before that, just because of my family ties in Sicily and me growing up in the neighborhood. So, you know, when I walked into the Copa, when I was like 13 or 14, he was doing a sound check and he looked at Julie Bodell like to say, What's, who's this kid? What's he doing in here? And Jules said, no, no, that's Costello's boy. And once he said that, he went and kept on singing. So I sat down. I listened to three or four songs. And then I walked over to him because I just wanted to let him know, you know, how in my younger years, he became my idol and basically did encourage me to get out of Bellevue and my whole pandemic of polio. And I mean, that, that is gospel truth. And that day when I was turned seven in 1949, December 12th, I listened to Sinatra on a transistor radio that was given to me by Carlo Gambino for my birthday by his niece, Dolores Barone. 
So the tie was like insane. And when I told him that, I mean, a tear came to his eye. And I stayed friends with him forever. And then as, you know, we went on, as, as you wrote in the book about us, you know, I was very instrumental by just sending the messages all around the world when they were collaborating with all the major mobsters and insurance companies and unions to vote for JFK to become president. And they did. But so that, well, basically, he valued you as a friend. So that one year in exile uh, was just something that he, that he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, he knew once he started to see me on a regular base, sitting ringside at the Sands Hotel, that Costello owned that one, too, that, you know, he had to throw it to me. Unless, you- I, I, I'm sure, if I didn't have the friendship I did, he would have never talked to me again in my life. What's your opinion of the acting job that Al Martino did in The Godfather? So I have an opinion, but I want to hear, hear you. Well, I think he did what he could do. And I think Al was intimidated by Marlon Brando as Marlon Brando being Marlon Brando. And I love the scene which worked out in Al's favor because Brando's lines were written on Al Martino's Cumberbund and, and chest. And then when he was supposed to react, he, he actually got tongue-tied. So Brando smacked him. <laughs> that was off script, right? No, that was off script, yeah. Because oh. he, no, he kept no, he kept fumbling his lines. And Brando, you better be prepared if you're doing a <laughs> one-on-one with Brando. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that 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 one scene where he starts to cry and mumble, uh, and then uh, Brando grabs him by the shoulders and starts shaking him. You know, be a man. Yeah. Starts, I thought that Al Martino was was afraid of him in that scene. He was. It was because he was the Godfather. This is uh, he was just afraid of Marlon Brando. Fury, but it, it worked to Al's favor though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the audiences said, like. Wow, they, you know, he's afraid he's, that's his godfather. And he's telling him, you know, he didn't know where the guy would kill him. He's a killer. We know that. So I think, again, yeah. you know, for a guy who's never acted before, one-on-one with such a big scene with Brando, I think he did well. You can tell the difference when he's uh, introduced at, at the party, when, when he walks in and everybody's warning all over him and, and the teenage girls are swooning. Right. And he's talking to people. He gets up and sings. He's so naturally, so calm. As soon as he comes face to face with Brando, it's all over. Oh yeah, no, it's like I mean, he said he had. What am I going to do? <laughs> stomach aches the night before. You know, if he ever come. <laughs> but uh, I, I again, I I don't know what's going on now. I'm hearing rumors, and like our audience probably is well aware that they're making these two major presentations on Godfather 1 to for the you know for the 50th anniversary and all I'm hearing because I know people uh, who are on the production of one of them and they mentioned to him to the, the producer I'll leave his name out cuz you know who cares I could say his name but but now I'll leave it alone anyway and they said well how, how are we going to explain how Johnny Russo got the part they said well, no, we're not going to even worry about that well, how could you not worry about 
How I got staying away from anything Italian, anything mob, anything-, anything mob. That's what they want to do. They were told by Viacom, the movie's done so well. We don't need this mob backdrop. Let's stay with the Anti-Defamation League. We talked to Joe Colombo and to Barry Schlotnick, and we ironed everything out. There was no mob. There was no gifts. There was some, it was all lies, basically. They could make this uh, special, however long it's going to be, two or three hours. They could make this something unique as the movie if they just tell the truth. I know. Well, you know what? I think you and I are going to make it bigger than that because you know me. I'm not going to be quiet. <laughs> so you know, I don't understand that. I mean, everybody's so careful about hurting somebody's feelings. This is part of history, and right. in history, you want the truth. Well, not see. I don't think it's so much of them trying to hurt their feelings, as they said in another meeting that I was privy to. They're, I mean, they're a public trading company. Viacom's a $66 billion company. And they've been told by council, I guess, we have a masterpiece. Why do you want to, you know, bring in a negative like the mob? So, I mean, I have to, you know, I don't have to do anything, but I mean, I, I, I can understand where business-wise why they're doing it. If that's how it was with the studio, how did this rumor that Buffalino got Al Martino the part, how did that come about? Do you have any idea? Yeah, Buffalino started it. <laughs> he wanted a little bit of credit. Is that what it was? I swear to God. He wanted to say, no, I told him he's got to handle him. They got to have him in the movie. He was just taking credit for something he did not do. And they don't even know who the guy, I mean, they probably knew his name. But, you know, it's, uh, well, you, you have some background on Buffalino, don't you, Pat? Pat? No, not really. in this particular case, uh, Buffalino said that he acted as an intermediary, according to him, according to Buffalino. Right. That said that there must be a failure to communicate here because uh, while Victor Mon was offered the part, he was offered the part after Al Martino was offered the part. Uh, so uh, he said, you know, you, you offer the part to one guy, you don't give him a reason why he's not offered the part. Well, I'm just suggesting, and, and what he's suggesting is he has, uh, Buffalino has so much power. He overruled even Victor Moon. That, that he can overrule an industry he has nothing to do with. Well, That's what he said. In his dreams. Martino first, the hell with Victor Moon, give it to Al Martino. Russell Buffalino looks like a hero, and he fades off into the sunset. But there was, it was all his community, nowhere else. Nobody even knows. <laughs> <that. laughs> anyway, I mean, you know. Unfortunately, there are a lot of guys that want to be bigger than they really are. And so Mr. Buffalino is one of those people, I guess. I don't know him. I know of him. But, you know, I, I, I was tied to different people who are still there. You know, it's, um, that crew that crew was always tied to the Gambinos, especially when the construction was started to go in, into Atlantic City. They had to get them involved because you can't transport ready mix 60, 70 miles in a truck. They had to bring all that supply in from them. And it was a big deal made, a lot of money made building Atlantic City. Well, you know, you would think that after Al, Al Martino is in all three versions of The Godfather and his, his, his fame increased 
He was a household name. You would think that he would do other movies. He only did one after that, and it was called, it, it was a short. It was like 35 minutes. It was called Cutout. It appeared in film festivals around the world in 2006. That was it. And he played, I don't know how they typecast him. He played a singer. Well, that's a stretch. <laughs> and that was it. No, that was it for his career. He did that one short film called Cutout after Godfather, and that was it. I wonder what, that's an interesting question. I wish he was alive. I mean, we can't even ask his daughter that, and I'm sure she has some kind of myth. Only thing I could think of is that somebody said to somebody in Hollywood, I wouldn't hire him anymore if I would. Because why else wouldn't he get other actors? It was, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I, unless he was that typecast as the, the singer from the, people, I, people get labeled, man. It's hard to get work. I mean. One movie? One movie. Well, one big movie like that. Yeah, right, yeah. That's his first role. The only thing they ever saw him do. And maybe people saw around it how intimidated he was by the leading male. <laughs> well, he, maybe, but he, anyway, he played an, an aging singer. And at the time, he was an aging singer. Wow. The name of it is uh, cut out. I try to find it, but uh, it doesn't exist. I, I couldn't. Well, that's interesting stuff, though. I, I hope my our listeners appreciate all the research you've done. What did you? I'm, I'm, you're being very quiet over there. You must have a giant thing you found that's got to be. A, 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 I mean, like, nothing that I found because you've pretty much gone over everything at this point. Um, I do have some questions, though. Um, did you know? Obviously, you guys were in the film together. Did you know him personally before? Yeah. Or did Frank know him personally before? We all knew him before because he played the same circuits. He played the Copacabana. He played the Latin Quarter. He played everybody. All these guys, these giant singers. That's why even when, I mean, it's so strange. I've heard it from Bennett and everybody else. As soon as they get involved, like Jim Martin, when he went for his license at, at uh, Cal Neva, they asked him, why is he always around gangsters? And Dean don't care about none. He had all the money in the world. He said, did you ever look at the licensing of who owns the nightclubs around the world? <laughs> Gangsters. <laughs> so if you don't, I've not seen with them and you're not in their clubs, you're not working. So it's obvious we had to knob hob with them and, and be a part of it. And that's all it was about. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, to be fair, like to be around a Hollywood celebrity. Oh, my guys, oh my God, they love. Them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, even look at Westchester Premier Theater. Everybody that worked there knew they were doing the Gambinos a favor and the Genovese family. I mean, they they ran that place, and a lot of guys went to jail for it. Frankly, you know, Frank they. They covered up. Frank, two guys went to jail, but they were very well paid when they came out. They got major, major management company and managed big stars, which they were never doing prior. But, you know, it's, um, it's a different world now. I mean, unfortunately, with cameras and everything else, you talk to a guy and I'm, I'm constantly being asked, especially now when I'm going international with my liquor license. So, I mean, I, I want to stay squeaky clean, and I am number one, and always have been. 
But that whole rumor could destroy you today. Years ago, you used it to get jobs. Today, you wouldn't get a job because everything is legitimate. Well, Al, but to his credit, uh, continued to sing. He continued to work rooms. He continued to work uh, lounge acts in, in Vegas. Oh, packed them. Packed them. Yeah, he, he passed away from a heart attack in uh, October 2009 in uh, uh, Springfield, Pennsylvania, which is not too far from me here, uh, when he was 82. That's where he lived. His last house was there. Pardon me? Yeah, his last yeah, house. Yeah. That's where the last house. Springfield, PA. Yeah. And then um, there, was a, there was another club. That, um, what's the name of it? Cherry Hill. Around you. Right over there. Oh, yeah. you know, there was in southwestern PA where I am. There's, there's nothing here other than Pittsburgh. But, I mean, you leave uh, Pittsburgh and drive in any direction for half an hour. You're in the woods. I mean, this isn't like the suburbs of New York, but there were a lot of big clubs in these small towns. A right. lot. Of, and, uh, and big stars would come to this area of the country to play these clubs. Oh, yeah, no. It, and yeah. I talked to some old timers around here, and they say, yeah, I know this guy, and that guy used to, used, to, they used to play these clubs all the time. Well, I have to, we were saying, you know, they were all, they were all mobbed up. So they yeah. give you a circuit to fill in. So they, they knew you were coming to New York, let's say, for the Copa. Well, the week before, would make a couple of stops for us. Yeah. And they gave him cash most of the time. So that, that was another, you know, awesome. nice trinket for these guys because, you know, most of them had girlfriends and most of them had the IRS problems, especially Sammy Davis. He loved envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> he paid for it. Oh, my God. But um, so uh, I think we covered that pretty well. We did. We just put uh, Al to rest. Uh, he's in Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City, California. You want to pay a visit? Really? I wonder. Yeah. Oh, next. I don't know why he didn't wind up? Because, why I'll didn't tell you why. Because of his daughter and his wife. His, okay. his wife moved his her mother to a building she lives in. The daughter, on her own, her own success at CNN was an on-air re reporter. Years ago, I met her 10, 15 years ago at the CNN building in L.A. But, you know, so she, I mean, obviously she didn't go on her father's accolades. She's not Dina Martin, but <laughs> that was a joke. But anyway, um, moving right along. <laughs> Do we have anything to add to that? No, I think we about covered Al's illustrious career. It's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out because I don't think uh, Al's daughter got in touch with us to talk about why he's not in or what they're doing about it or how the mob, I think she's going to make some noise because I'm sure she has the inroads already about either the document or the docu uh, documentation or the, the uh, real movie that they're making about it, making of The Godfather. So it should be continued, I guess. Yeah, hopefully we'll have her on soon, a couple weeks. Yeah, well, she's so busy and she's on tour. I don't know what she's touring, but <laughs> she'll get off the bus and take our call. <laughs> I know her all her life. That's so funny. All, all right. right, on to the mailbag. Yeah, let's yeah. take a break for commercials and make some money. And uh, we'll be right back. 
Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com We're back. All right, let's get to it. First is from Tim. Tim says, hi, Megan. I'm honored for my question to be read out loud regarding Walt Disney. Loving the podcast. Couple of questions. Did Gianni have any dealings with Princess Margaret as she was a starlet? Also, what is Gianni's favorite song to sing of an all-time favorite song also? Well, I was a, 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 my all-time favorite song was a song that was taught to me by Frank Sinatra at his house after three days of crash singing lessons and, and breathing lessons. And he and I was drunk out of our mind. Possibly. And he asked me to sing this song. And every time I sing it, mostly every important show I do, I reminisce about it. And it was a song he dedicated to Ava Gardner, who was the true love of his life. And it's um, all the way. And the next time you hear it, you'll hear his sentiments and the true love that he had for Ava Gardner. Listen to the lyric as I do all the time. So that's my favorite tune to sing. The song I'm most asked to sing is Speak Softly Love. <laughs> a surprise. Yeah. Of course. All right, next is from Ben. Ben says, hi guys, there has always been something that confuses me and I may have just missed the answer in the past, but John Gotti had Paul Castellano killed without permission from the commission and Shin Giganti attempted to kill Gotti with a bomb for doing so. But other than trying to make it look like it wasn't him, why use a bomb? There was no permission granted, then surely there would be cause to have Gotti killed. Just like in the case of Angelo Bruno being killed by Anthony Caponegro. Right. And look how that turned out for him. Thanks and keep up the great work. There's a lot there. Well, I, we have to know about that old thing. So do you, Pat. Well, yes, you know, to address the why use a bomb. It was gas pipe, that's why. Scotty <laughs> was the head of a crime family with a lot of security, hard to get close to. The security travels with him. Nobody stays with the car. So you put a bomb in the car and hope for the best. Unfortunately, in this particular case, it didn't work out very well. It, it, it did for Gotti, but that's the reason that they put a bomb in it. Yeah, but and unfortunately, Frankie Boy did at a because he died. He was the underboss. I mean, John, during the time that he took over, he just abandoned all rules and just didn't care. The fact that he even made his son, which I always say, why number one, you want to make your son, but his his son is from a Jewish mother. He made him. The guy's a main guy. But you know, the Gotti, the Gotti family is unique in itself, and I can't really talk about it because, again, it's all hearsay. I met John a few times. 
did him one or two favors. He did me a favor to get me into uh, to see Pablo Escobar. So I, I got to say thank you for that. But I'm sure he wasn't happy the way the results turned out. But uh, for you, thanks for that question. But yeah, he did go against it all. But he was one of the biggest earners and took over the Gambino of the crime family, which was the biggest membership at the time and the biggest earners. All right, next is a message from Derek that I want to share. Derek said, I had watched several interviews and found you charming and so interesting. What stories? Thanks so much for your entertainment. Can't wait for the next book. If you ever do performances in NYC, I would love to attend. You are a one-of-a-kind gentleman. Who's he talking about, Pat? You or me? Obviously me. Well, how about Gianni? Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't have anything to say about him, I guess. Yeah, Pat, so where are you performing next? I don't know. I've got so many offers. I'm uh, I'm, I'm weighing them. Uh, I'll, I'll have my agent call their agent. And we'll, work something out. We'll, we'll make sure you know, sir. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'll be sitting next to you watching Pat do the performance. I'll, I'll, I'll do a stand-up act. I'll let you know. Next. All right. Next is a message from Susan. Susan says, greetings. Hope everyone is doing well. This question is for Gianni. After reading your book and enjoying all episodes of your podcast, I am continually amazed by your accomplishments, multiple talents, and traditional values, honoring family and friends, and a strong work ethic. I'm curious what you see as the accomplishments that you yourself are most proud of. In closing, your podcast helped me so much with, during the pandemic. Great. Thank you. I mean, um, my problem and my most accomplishment that I could say is staying alive in the group <laughs> that I traveled with. <laughs> I mean, knowing all my episodes because you read the book, I, I think that was my, after a while, you know, I, I was so successful in so many different things and I had enough money. There were times I'd be sitting and saying like, why am I still doing this? I, could, I should disappear. <laughs> but well, listening and being a, a fan base and spreading the word for us though, I appreciate it. All right, next is also from Susan. She says, this question is for Gianni. In following your story, I find that my early childhood experience and family dynamics are very similar to yours. I'm amazed how you rose above the trauma and followed your own path to pursuing your dreams. I find the path haunts me at times and holds me back in life, especially after my parents' recent death. It has been a real struggle. How were you able to not let the negative define you and find such confidence to persevere? Because if the negative takes over, just succumb to it and you're gone. You got to overcome. I don't know if you believe in God or whatever you believe in other than yourself. But you have to have belief that you can do what you can do. And don't try to do something you can't do. So you be even deeply depressed. But, uh, change your attitude, number one, and just go for it, lady. Go. Do it. All right, next is from Kale. Kale says, did Gianni or Patrick know anything about the Salernos from Chicago? They owned funeral homes, and I believe they were involved with Sam Giancana. My no-no was good friends with George Salerno. My dad was even at Giancana's house back then with them. Keep the podcast going. It definitely is a highlight of my week. What do you know, Pat, about the Salernos? I am the, only, the only Salerno I know was uh, uh, Frank Salerno, who coincidentally was the NYPD's uh, Expert on the mafia. So that's as far as I know when it comes to Salerno. They nephew. <laughs> Was it? No, I'm teasing you. No. Oh, okay. 
No, but I mean, if they own funeral homes, they definitely were involved with at least Sam Giancana. Because as I mentioned so many times, Joe Batters, Accardo, for those people who don't know who he is, never, he was a, went under the radar and Sam was the street boss. And that's who you dealt with. But funeral homes, by most mob families, had a connection in every major city because, you know, they, they had a use for them. <laughs> All right, next is from Benny. Benny says, Gianni, I'm a, I'm a magician based out of Atlanta. I specialize in gambling sleight of hand with cards. I'm curious to know if you could do an episode on magicians you've been around or the Magic Castle in L.A. I've learned effects from Jimmy Grippo, who performed wow. at Caesars in Vegas for many years back into the 70s and 80s. Magic in Vegas have always been so interesting to me. I feel that magic was more popular back in the 70s and 80s. I would be curious to know if you have any stories of magician friends and magic and the mafia. Thank you, and I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you. Well, you picked on a guy that I really adored. Jimmy Grippo was an in-house Magician for Caesar's Palace worked nowhere else. And all he did was wander around the Bacchanal room in different places and amuse people and got big money for it and big tips. And the greatest old man, I mean, he did a trick that I'll share. And, I, and this gentleman knows how he did it. I want to know. He would get the silver coins from the casino. And he, like many times, in the Bacchanal room, he'd say, put your hand under the table. I'd put my hand under the table. He'd say, now feel around, there's nothing there, right? No. And he'd start banging this coin on the table until it disappeared and was in my hand under the table. I still don't know how he did it. <laughs> wow. you know, funny, you should, funny you should talk about the magic. I worked as a, as a kid for a... Uh, uh, an illusionist. This guy was a stage magician. His name was Lon Masterson. That was his stage name. Real name, Bob McCarthy. But I worked for him. In fact, I, I, ha I had the poster up on the wall. Uh, we, were, we were on the Jackie Gleason show. I was his assistant there along with his wife. But I was so young, they actually painted a mustache on me. You on stage, on camera? Uh, what, what? You on camera with him? Yeah, I was on... Lon Masterson, uh, we did Jackie Gleason, we did Steve Allen. Uh, there was uh, something in, in uh, Madison Square Garden called a six-day bike race back in the day. And during the uh, intermissions, he would do his act. But he was big. He had, and even to this day, the world's only floating piano. Wow. Uh, uh, I'll bring out the poster for the, and I can, gra I can grab it. Whoops. Well, you know, it's interesting. Maybe the, the guy, a couple of male mail uh, requests prior to this, maybe they saw that show. That's why he's wanting to know when you're going to appear again. He um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was 14 when we were on the Steve Allen show. Wow. Steve Allen, uh, you know, how I got to know this guy was he, he uh, lived next door to a friend of mine. And I just uh, started to help him because I was fascinated. He had a warehouse full of stuff. But uh, they, they dressed me up in a bellhop uniform and right. painted a mustache on me. I have the poster hanging up right behind me. And I'm standing with this huge Indian sword that, you know, was used or, or could be used to chop off heads. And I'm standing there with this thing in front of me. You can plainly see I'm a 14-year-old kid. 
with his mustache on. That's wild. Involved in, in, in the magic world for years, this guy. And, and you were living in New York City at that time? In Jackson Heights, Queens, yeah. Oh, okay. Show business is my life. Like oh, yeah. Part of my youth, yeah. Okay, moving. Next is from Raul. Raul says, I've heard you guys talk about your favorite actor in response to listener questions, but I'm interested in knowing who is your favorite all-around entertainer. Great podcast, never miss an episode. Well, thank you for not missing an episode. All-around entertainer right now? Oh, all time. All time. Oh, all time. Okay. Oh, well, I'd have to, really, I'd have to say Sinatra. Because he sang, he danced, he did it all. Who? Frank Sinatra. Oh, Sinatra. Yeah, well, for me, it was uh, Jackie Gleason. Uh, that was uh, underrated for practically everything. He was uh, nominated for uh, one Academy Award. Didn't win it as Best Supporting Actor in a movie that he uh, he played Tom Hanks's father. Uh, I, I forget the name of it once, but I don't know. I I, I knew him because he frequented my father's place in Little and I always admired the guy. I still watch The Honeymooners. Must have seen each episode two hundred times. No, he, I mean he was very talented. Yeah, he's he's my favorite all around entertainer. The guy could do everything: sing, dance, shoot pool very well too. By the way. Oh yeah. He did his own stunts in that. Um... What was the name of that movie? He got nominated for that one too, didn't he? Which? With um, Paul Newman. What was that? Oh, The Hustler. Hustler, yeah. Yeah, he was nominated for Best Supporting. Didn't get it either. Yeah, I was there for the filming of that in Ames. Oh, um, my father took me. That was 1959. Wow. I was 13, uh, 12, something like that. 13. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Next one is from Steve for Gianni and Pat. Steve says, do you guys know anything regarding organized crime in smaller cities or towns? I live in a small town in PA and have heard stories when I was growing up about the mafia running illegal gambling, et cetera, around here, although I've never seen any evidence of it. Do you know anything about small town OC? Not me. Well, I live in a small town and I wouldn't know anything about it until I moved here. Yeah, there's organized crime. We call it disorganized crime. Because basically you can do anything you want. I mean, the, the, the big thing around here is gambling and in, in the form of uh, slot machines, joker poker. Now, you want to put these machines in your place in a big city, New York, Chicago, whatever. You have to have permission. There's territory. Here, there was one crime family in this area. They had no power whatsoever. Their power was in Harrisburg and Philadelphia, and we're far from there. Yeah. If, you want, if you wanted to put uh, joker poker machines in, you didn't ask permission from anybody. He just put them in. So who's the crime family about that you're talking about? Uh, they, were, they, were co- they, they were connected to uh, Russell Buffalino. Okay. But he didn't care about anything uh, west of Philly or Harrisburg. That was it. So basically, you did what you wanted to do. The family had, had no teeth. They're still around, but they're all in legitimate business now. The old time is, uh, you know. Well, they, they used basically that. But I, I had a, when, when I first got here, I had a, a, a friend of mine who I just met at the time. He made an Irish guy, made a lot of money in the, with the Joker poker machines. And he just walked into bars, you know, forget organized crime, which was still in effect when I moved here 30 years ago. The family was still operating. They didn't do anything. They let him have his own territory. Oh, wow. Yeah. He should be happy. He kept all the money. He went to jail for 10 years. Oh, Joker machine. Joker poker machine. Okay, well, I guess he... For 10 years to the day. 
<laughs> well, he was warned by the feds because uh, he was bringing the machines over state lines. He got he was going to be arrested for a federal offense. They said, "Look, get the machines out of there, and we'll call it. A, you know, it'll, it'll be a push." He didn't do it. He thumbed his nose at them. Got arrested, convicted. He did every day of ten years. Wow. Plus tax evasion. They got him on everything. Moving right. right. Well, actually, that is all the time that we have for tonight. All right. Well, perfect. Another great show. And thank you all for listening. Please tell your friends, write reviews. That helps us. And our following is getting to where we want, but it's not there yet. We need more support. So please. Tell your friends, send your cards and letters. Pat, Megan, see you next week. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. I'll be around. Give me a call. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I want you to tune into Hollywood Godfather podcast. You could find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you hear your podcasts. Remember, we put up a new show every Wednesday night. Special guests, special surprises constantly, and you can get involved. Hollywood Godfather Podcast.